take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and um, bring a message entitled, God's people are not idolaters. God's people are not idolaters. You know, if you look at any major uh, publication that has done a study on sexual sin in our world, any indicator you look at, sexual sin is rampant. Not just in the world, but in the church. Christianity Today has done the largest study to date on this fact. Um, they polled with a blind poll, blind survey, pastors from all over in every denomination. And in the questionnaire, the question was, how many of you would say, I have viewed illicit material in the last six months? Sixty-three percent said, of the pastors, said, we have viewed illicit material in the last six months. 54% of those same men said that pornography is an addiction in their life. An addiction defined by the study as viewing pornography through the internet or other medians at least once a week. These are evangelical pastors of every denomination. Not the mainline church. Not the liberals. The most conservative. The most Bible-believing. That stat alone tells us the depth of the issue. Because what it reflects is not that there is more illicit behavior in the pulpit, but that the pulpit is like the pew, and the pew is like the pulpit. I would venture to say, if you took a poll of the men of evangelical congregations, you would get very similar numbers. Very similar. Evangelical teens polled out that fornication, defined as sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage, before the covenant of marriage, Only about 40% believe, these are evangelical teens, that that is a sin. Only about 40%. And the solution the church has offered, for a generation at least, is to beat people up with rules and regulations. And to tell people, Shame on you. You're bad. You got to do better to wag the finger, to quote the law, to thunder regulations, to fire and dismiss pastors with no chance at redemption. No matter, one time offenses, 
One-time offenses in viewing illicit material at some churches means you are fired. No severance package, no hope for you or your family, no offer of rehabilitation. Just get out of our sight. And some of you may think that's a good approach. But I'm here to tell you, that's not the Bible's approach. And that's not the Apostle Paul's approach. He neither thunders regulations nor fires people on the spot. But yet he preaches the truth of the gospel. And today we have the awesome opportunity to see this and to hear these words from the perspective of the Bible. And that is that God's people are not idolaters. That's Paul's solution. That's Paul's witness. That's what the Bible has to say. I was talking with someone uh, this weekend at a conference I was speaking at Friday and Saturday. Uh, one of the leaders there, we were talking, he has a friend in North Carolina who, uh, in a small community, a lot like this, and he, he retired and he decided to go into the computer cleanup business. He was, he was, he's, a, he's a tech guy. And he just decided, hey, this is a good sideline job. And so his business has grown in this small community. He's respected. And so men and women start bringing him their computers. Men and women, not just men. Men and women start bringing their computers into his shop. Deacons, deacons' wives, pastors, pastors' wives, CEOs of businesses, small business owners, children of small business owners, just common America. Start bringing their, by the, first of all, steady stream, and then he's overwhelmed. He has to start hiring other employees. And they keep bringing these computers to him, and, and they're brand new computers, and they say, they're locked up. He said, not once have I cleaned a computer, not one time, in seven years of business that did not have pornography on it. Not one time. From men, from women, from children, from all walks of life. Can we just admit, among us, if we don't tell anybody else, the approach the church has taken for the last 25 years failed. Piling rule on top of rule, net nanny on top of net nanny, has failed. Doesn't work. It's like going to a five alarm fire with a water pistol and expecting to put it out. And what I'm offering today from the Bible is what I believe could revolutionize, could bring a huge screeching halt to this sin of sexual immorality along with many others. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That would bring a jolting halt to a lot of this activity. Let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 5. We've just entered in, and I admit it up front, Ephesians uh, 4 and 5 are very difficult for me because the only way I've ever heard these passages or passages like them preached is thundering, 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 legalism, do this, don't do that kind of preaching. So when I preach, I'm scared my old self will come out, and that's just an easy place to get into. Uh, you know, you've all sat in that uncomfortable sermon where the preacher brought a pack of Marlboros out and preached for an hour on why smoking is a sin. 
right? And he shakes his finger at you. Well, you've been there. Don't look at me like you. I'm the only one. You've been there. And I know that I have a, I have a tendency in my own heart to treat myself that way and my wife that way and my children that way. I, that's, that's natural for me to just thunder the law, wag my finger, put in a new rule or regulation for myself or others. That's, that's my tendency. Okay, so when I come to these passages, I'm full aware that my number one default is to go to legalism and think I'm doing something. So y'all pray for me, because this is hard. It's not hard because I don't believe it. It's hard because my mind and heart are filled with such silly half-gospel truths. Okay, so pray with me as we go through these texts. Ephesians 5 to get the full context here, let's, let's read 5, 1 through 6. Therefore, in light of the gospel I've preached to you and the doctrine that I've given to you, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let, therefore be, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. First of all, I'd like for you to see from this passage that God's people must put off idolatry in the form of sexual sin. Idolatry... And sexual sin are tied together in the Scripture from the Old through the New Testament. And it's not simply because, as I've always heard, it's not simply because idolaters often committed sexual sin in the practice of worshiping their gods. That is true. But I want to tell you something that may shock you. In God's eyes, when you commit sexual sin, you are committing idolatry. You are worshiping a form or an image that is not God. It's not as simple as looking at something you shouldn't look at or saying something you shouldn't say. It is an offense to God directly. When you take His creation and you objectify it and treat it, like a God, and you worship it, and you seek after it with all your heart. That is idolatry. God's people put away, put off sexual immorality, which is idolatry. We put it off. Now let's go through these. He uses six terms here to talk about sexual sin. Six terms that are nuanced, because he wants to gather the whole thing up. He doesn't want to leave anybody out. Paul is an equal opportunity offender. He offends the whole congregation. Immorality is the first word. Sexual immorality. The word pornea is where we get our word 
pornography. But in the Scripture, when we see it, it's a very broad word in the Greek. It can mean a lot of things. But in the Scripture, over and over and over again, and especially in Paul's writings, it refers to fornication. Not adultery. Not adultery. And not just sexually impure things, but sex before marriage. In 1 Corinthians 6, for example, Paul warns them to flee, as young single people, flee sexual immorality. He's telling them, don't commit fornication. Chapter 7 gives us a further context in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, when he says, if you are struggling with not committing fornication and having someone who is not your wife to act like your wife for the night in an impure and immoral way, then marry that woman, and each woman shall have her husband, and each man shall have his wife, so that you don't commit fornication. That's what he says. So the word pornea, though it's broad, is very specific at times, and in this juncture I believe it is. He's talking about fornication. Listen, children, the number one preventative to you having premarital sex is not AIDS. It's not birth control. Schools can hand out birth control. The health department can do it. I'm not preaching against it. it it's the only fight that the world can have against sexual sin. is to try to stop the consequences that come with the sexual sin. That's all they have. We shouldn't, we shouldn't thunder against them. They're doing the best they can. But listen... Children in this congregation, young adults in this congregation, single people in this congregation, listen to me. That cannot be your number one preventative. The consequences. Because the truth is, most of you won't suffer those consequences. You might, but most of you won't. You, most of you will not get AIDS. But if you live in idolatry, which is fornication, you will die and go to hell. If that is your life, if that is your God, you have no hope of the inheritance of the kingdom. That's how you prevent fornication. In my heart, in your heart, the only way is to say it's more serious than age could ever dream of being. It's more serious than pre pregnancy out of wedlock. It is an idolatrous act before a holy God. And if you live that way, and you never repent from it, and you continue in it, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God or of Christ. That's just the first word. second word is impurity. Paul always uses this word to refer to the sins of perverted sexual activity, including, most of the time, specifically saying homosexuality is a sin. Romans chapter 1, verse 24, uses this same word to say that women gave up the natural use of a man and went after other women, and men likewise. Galatians 5, 19 the impure cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Speaking about, again, homosexuality. Colossians 3, 5, the sister text of this, he refers specifically to homosexuality. He uses this word, impurity. 
Some of you in here are struggling with homosexuality. You're struggling with it. I wish, I wish, you, would, I wish you would feel comfortable enough to come forward and confess it. Because I believe that the dark shroud we have placed around it causes it to spread like a cancer. It is a sin. But, like all sin, we're going to see a solution. It is a natural propensity. Listen to me. If you're struggling, I want to say this to you. Your struggle against homosexuality is not categorically different than my struggle with the sin of adultery. I have a besetting sin, and you have a besetting sin. You were not born on another planet with some weirdness. You were born a sinner like I was. So when God says homosexuality is a sin, He means it. It is a sin, but it is not different. Hear this, you heterosexuals. It is not different in God's eyes than heterosexual sin. It's a sin. And so if you're struggling with it, welcome to the family of sinners. We're all struggling with sin. And your solution is not to be given some medication because you're psychologically imbalanced or something. That's not the solution. We're going to see the solution. The number one solution, the overwhelming solution. I believe that God can deliver us from all of these. And that He does deliver us. Covetousness. The third term He uses in the text. You shall not be guilty, or it should be not be named among you that you are sexually immoral or impure or covetous. Now, you and I may look at that and say, what in the world are you talking about being covetous over? I mean, that usually in our mind deals with what? Material goods, wealth. We think about covetousness, we think, well, you shouldn't lust after that Porsche, or you shouldn't be hot after that big house that your neighbor has. Or, but God always lists with those things, nor shall you covet what? Your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female servant. Right? So covetousness also can be a sexual sin, and in this text, it is very much so. Paul is talking about the sin of lusting after that which is not yours, and going so far as to make it yours in your mind. This is a big problem for people like me and you. Because this one, unlike fornication, which is an outward physical thing, and unlike impurity, which is an out-of-bounds thing in our culture, this one is culturally accepted, and it's secret. It's between me, in my mind, and nobody else. So we think. God says, covetousness is idolatry. In this text, he says, covetousness is not just a bad thing, it is the ultimate of evil. Because it's lusting after something, seeking after something which is not God, to find satisfaction and pleasure in that thing. Covetousness here, 
deals with sexual desire for another besides your spouse. It means you have no contentment, you have no satisfaction in where God has put you. Single people, I know that this is a struggle. Because you not only covet other people, but you covet what other people have in a marriage partner. And you want it for yourself. Be careful. Don't make it a God. There are natural desires which God has given and they're good in the context God created them for, the marriage. Outside of that, they are evil. They are idolatrous. He then goes into three that I'm going to put together because they all deal with the same thing. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. This is not talking about cursing. Don't quote this to your kid when he uses a four-letter word. That's not at all what Paul's talking about. What Paul's talking about is being gross about God's gift of sexual intimacy. Locker room talk, if you know what I mean. If you've ever been in a locker room. I've been in a few. The talk in there is kind of gross. It's taking what God created as an intimate, beautiful, pleasurable, worshipful act and, and treating it like filth in a gutter. Boiling it down to a physical thing only. Treating either men or women like objects in your speech rather than as God's gift to you. Foolish talk and crude joking go together. Filthiness is degrading the thing and foolish talk and crude joking is taking the thing that is a sin and acting as if it is funny. We see on TV people committing adultery. We think it's funny. We laugh when clearly homosexual people on the TV are acting like homosexuals. We think that's funny. God does not think it's funny. And Paul's saying, you shouldn't be named among those who act like it's funny. It's not a joking matter. It's not for our entertainment purposes. Paul says, God's people must put off, put off like old clothes, like an old garment. Put it off. Get rid of it. This sexual idolatry. The solution for all of these is the same. There's only one solution. Look what he says in verse 3. It shall not be, these things shall not be, even be named among you as is proper, as is fitting among saints. Here's the problem. You've been redeemed. You've been given a new life. You've been transferred from the dark to the light. You have gone from being a son of wrath to a son of God. And so Paul says, it's logically inconsistent that you would live this way. These things don't fit with you. They, don't, they shouldn't be about, you shouldn't be about these things. You should be different than the world. He does it in verse 3, and then he does it again later in the text, saying that it is not fitting. It, it is not fitting 
that these things should be even named among you. This is a clear statement that this is all these six sins are inconsistent with your new nature. Paul takes away the excuse of it's just how I was made. See, I think we're having the wrong argument with people in sexual sin. Because they're saying, I'm sorry, but that's just how God made me. And what we need to be saying is, well then sit down, let me share the gospel with you. Because if you're still an old man, if that's your excuse, is, well I'm just an old man by my nature, I just can't help it. Now I don't need to worry about what you're doing. I need to talk to you about who you should be in Christ. I need to preach the gospel. The solution to all of these is the same. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul makes that clear in a very unique way. God's people, second point, God's people must be thankful. Verse 4, part B. But instead of all these things, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. What? Carlton, surely you're not telling me that the solution to my desire to want to look at things I shouldn't look at, touch things I shouldn't touch, say things I shouldn't say, surely you're not proposing the answer is thankfulness. No, I'm not. Paul is. You see, if I had written this text, this is what I would have said. For God says, 10th law, you shall not commit covetousness. I would thunder a regulation. Paul doesn't think that way. He doesn't give them a rule to live by. He says, all these six things are solved by this. You're thankful. It just doesn't fit, does it? I mean, let's be honest. That kind of goes over like a lead balloon. You build it up. You say, all these things are wrong. I've got a solution for you. Be thankful. Come again? I mean, I didn't just get a gift on Christmas, Paul. I mean, I don't know if you're getting it, but I got a real problem here. Because we don't think gospel-centered. We don't think Christ-centered. What does he mean by be thankful? What's he proposing, really? It's strange to us that he would propose thankfulness as a solution to sexual sin because we don't think like the gospel. What are we to be thankful for? Hebrews 13, verses 4 and 5 give us the same solution. Listen to this text. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The fornicator and the adulterer. God will judge those things. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, covetousness, and content with what you have. Content with what you have. Thankful for what you have. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing. Don't you like it when the Bible agrees with itself? 
This, you would get to picture that something bigger than men is writing this book. Because I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews. Just my two cents. Keep your life free from the love of money and content with what you have. Here it is. The solution. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Joshua 1 verse 5. So the next time your computer's in front of you and nobody's home and nobody can see, what keeps you from surfing the internet for the filth that is there? God says it is to be thankful for Him. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. God says the solution the next time you're in a dark place with someone of the opposite sex that you shouldn't be with, the solution is not a regulation, it's a relationship. I will never leave you and I won't forsake you. Don't do it. Don't bow your knees to an idol. You have me. Now if I can't get amens on that, from a bunch of stodgy, naturally legalistic people, come on! The gospel was sweet, isn't it? He didn't say, hey, work up the energy and fight off sin. Try harder. Don't be covetous. He says, God's not going to leave you. Be thankful for it. Oh, the sweet redemption that flows when we understand that God won't leave us. The sweet contentment with our lot in life. Let me tell you something. This week, I was sick. I had to be careful. I was sinfully angry and righteously angry. I pray I've repented of the sinful anger. When a so-called Christian leader, Pat Robertson, tells people to abandon their lifelong covenant because of a sickness that the partner cannot help, it makes me sick. It is idolatry. It is sinfulness. It is not the gospel. When the church abandoned Christ, as Russ Moore said in response, when Christ was arrested and the church left Him, He didn't leave. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He died on the cross for people who left Him and He wouldn't leave. He died for Alzheimer's patients like me and you who forget who our God is and how sweet His redemption is and yet He won't leave and He won't forsake. The next time you flip up the computer and look at something and objectify it, listen, God won't leave you and He won't forsake you, so repent of your idolatry and come back to God. Why, why are we shocked at Pat Robertson? He ain't been preaching the gospel since I've been alive. <laughs> That's the truth. I know some of you like the 700 Club. It's garbage. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. i got to stop before I get angry again and start sinning. <laughs> Listen. He can play monkey games with the covenant all he wants. But when you say, I will not leave you until death parts us, it doesn't mean Alzheimer's. And listen, when guys like me commit sexual sin, because I do, I'm thankful God doesn't leave me. 
or forsake me. And I'm thankful for a wife that doesn't leave me or forsake me. The answer to sexual sin is not a regulation. It's a relationship. And you've got to be in it to understand it. Because it's humanly impossible. It's humanly impossible. The gospel is the only solution for those 54% of pastors. He's the only solution. And some of them have him. They're just struggling. And they don't need a pink slip. They need somebody to put their arm around them and preach the gospel to them again. They may need to sit out of the pulpit for a while. I'm not arguing about that. They may, de- they may need to call a timeout for themselves and say, hey man, I'm struggling so hard right now, I can't get up there. Somebody take that load. I need help. That's okay. But they need brothers and sisters to come around them, hold their hand, pray for them, and walk with them. Because that's the gospel. I'm not leaving you, and I'm not forsaking you. Gospel people inherit the kingdom because God is their satisfaction. Why does Paul say fornicators and immoral people and impure people and people who tell filthy jokes and coarse talk, why won't they inherit the kingdom? Because if that is your life, you don't have the gospel relationship, therefore the kingdom is not yours. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God and His children. He's not talking about one-time acts. Listen to me closely. For those of you who have committed these sins, and that includes all of us in the room, He's not saying you struggled with this. He's not saying you, you made a mistake. Some of you, listen, some of you single folks have already committed fornication. He's not saying you're going to hell for that. He's saying if that's your life, if that's your God, if you're serving that and that only, if that's your hope in life, it's sexual satisfaction, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. Why? Not because of the sin, but because of the lack of the relationship with God. That's the problem, isn't it? That's it. Martin Luther, in The Freedom of a Christian in 1520, answered the question that we so much have. Listen to his words. Although I am unworthy and a condemned man, my God has given me in Christ all the riches of righteousness and salvation without any merit on my part, out of pure, free mercy, so that from now on I need nothing except faith which believes that this is true. Why should I not therefore freely, joyfully, with all my heart, and with an eager will do all things which I know are pleasing and acceptable to such a Father who has overwhelmed me with His inestimable riches? That's the answer. Let no one deceive you with empty words of legalism or antinomianism. Don't fall on either horn, but believe the gospel. Believe the gospel and you will inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. Believe the gospel. Listen, Christian. Those of us who in our hearts, I'm not going to make you raise your hand have committed sexual sin this week, and you're a Christian, you've sinned, you don't need a bunch of rules. You need to remember your relationship. And we need to help one another remember it. Listen, the joy 
of being the pastor of this church is that I so often hear you preaching the gospel to each other. That's a joy. I applaud it. I'm thankful for it. We're not perfect. This church is full of people that fail. But it's full of people who fail and confess their sins and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confess your sin one to another. Why? Because it sets you free. Because when you confess your sin to someone who believes the gospel, they don't wag their finger or shake their head. They wrap you in their arms and preach the gospel to you. They reapply the same salve that saved you. That's what sanctifies you. That's the solution, isn't it? Listen. Some of you are so tired in this area. And you're afraid. And you can't confess your sin. Because you're afraid your spouse won't receive your confession with the gospel, but rather legalism and hatred. Believe the gospel in your marriage. I'm not talking about letting them off light. I'm talking about giving them what you receive from Christ. Full and unfettered mercy. Not justice. That's what Christ gave you. So when they sin against you, if you're newly married or old married or thinking about not being married anymore, when they sin against you, the solution is the gospel. Both for the one who confesses the sin and the one who then receives the confession and applies the gospel. You say, that's weak. No, that's Christ. If you want to call Him weak, that's up to you. I call Him Savior. Single folks among us, don't be afraid to confess your sin and receive the gospel. Children, college students, youth, the struggle's real. Put people around you who believe the gospel and let them help you preach the gospel to yourself. I'm calling on you, Grace Fellowship. Leave rules and regulations for others. Let's be people of the gospel. Let's preach God's word faithfully and apply Christ's salve religiously to our wounds and the wounds of our brothers. Let's love one another and walk with God.